did we just get two sprint races in one weekend? Was Danny going to do a Monza 2.0? Is Perez trying to challenge the universe into a late-breaking silly season? Welcome to Tinfoil Helmets, your occasional spicy hot take roundup of the latest F1 rumors, all with the almost believable conspiracy theories to back them up. Everything here has been carefully researched for hours to make sure it's totally founded in logic, reasoning, and truth. Or not, who knows. Alright, did we get anything right with Mexico? Let's go right into it. Uh, Perez absolutely bins it in practice? No. Fails to make it to Q2? No, but it was pretty tight. Uh, And gets taken out before the halfway point in the race? Correct. You could have said he got taken out before the halfway point in lap one and you would have been correct. Indeed, I will award myself half a point for that, which is more than Perez scored. (laughs) Uh, We'll definitely talk more about that later. Let's not go into that now. Uh... Also prediction that the Merc would be broken in Mexico. Uh, It was half broken because only one of the drivers could extract the required performance out of it. Well, that's really been the trend for the last couple of weeks with that Merc. Indeed. And I think that there's something in that. Uh, But yeah, I I don't think we got any points for this one because it kind of seemed to be doing okay. So uh, I actually watched like almost the full like pre-race broadcast coverage because I thought the race started at noon and not one. Uh, So so I watched a lot of the the pre-coverage. And there was there was a moment before the race where um, Lewis was sitting there with like standing next to George and he had his headphones on and he was just kind of like vibing to whatever music he was listening to. And then there was like George and he had his sunglasses on and then there was George, no headphones, no sunglasses, just like sitting in the grass besides Lewis. And he's like, how the hell am I going to go as fast as this guy today? Like he just it <laughs> seemed like Lewis was just like um, like. You know the it's like the TikTok or something of like the singing California girls and like driving through the a grid really fast or something. It's like that seemed like what Lewis was going to do, and like George was having like flashbacks to like every crash he's ever caused. <laughs> he's never caused any crashes. He's never caused a crash, never. Oh, that's right. All the crashes he's been involved with that totally weren't we his go. fault. There we go. And then we also had another prediction that uh, the McLaren might be even worse. Uh, yeah, Mac did not hold up that well this weekend. No, but I will say that Lando, once he got going, he, you know, he screwed up his qualifying and he screwed up his race. But it actually had it had legs. It was going somewhere. So I don't think it was as bad as maybe it looked. And and his second start. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, um, should we move on with our from our predictions? Yes, let's go for our drama that happened between races. Almost technically more between podcasts at this point in time, because uh, Lewis and Charles got uh, DQ'd in Austin uh, after we recorded that episode. Indeed, I I, I had to do some quick fix up there to make sure that the podcast clarified why we were talking about things uh, in a way that was not real. Um, But yeah, they got DQ'd for a plank violation, which is like the first time in 20 years, I think it was. Uh, yeah, and they only measured two cars, uh, or they only measured four cars, and two of the cars they measured got DQ'd. Uh, interesting, they did measure Max. Max was fine, and apparently the reason why we haven't seen the Red Bull running away so much recently is because they did notice that, uh, there were some, they were, they've been sacrificing some performance to save the plank, because they, they realize they were seeing some excessive wear on their plank, and they've been running a little bit higher, while I think some of those cars that are trying to be more competitive are pushing it a little close to the edge. I thought that was actually really interesting. I thought it was interesting that they said that that's what they'd done in uh, 
Singapore and Austin was equally bouncy and they realized they were in trouble and so they decided to save it. Worked out well for them because the car's still like a rocket ship. Um, but I thought it was very interesting. Um, I really wish they'd done um, uh, Carlos's car just because he was so close to them. I just would have been very curious to see whether that one had the same problem. Yeah, I think from like a statistical standpoint of when you measure four cars and 50% of them are under the limit, you should maybe consider measuring some more cars. Uh, did you see the follow-up, follow-up, follow-up statement that uh, it turns out this was not a random selection? These cars were were intentionally chosen. Oh, yeah, because they have the bouncy sensors, and these were the most bouncies of the cars. Indeed, indeed. I'm not sure what that says about Charles and whether he's fatter than uh, science, so he makes the car bounce more. It's unclear. Uh, but I thought that was pretty interesting, um, that they were not randomly selected. So if I just have my car always planted on the ground, which would be very good for ground effect, mm-hmm. it won't trigger the bouncy sensors, and I can excessively wear my plank. There you go. You see, now you're thinking like an F1 team principal. Fantastic. Um, Checo's dad had the best comment of, uh, Checo will be Max's teammate for the next 10 years. Which I I love because it was so clearly wrong on a number of different levels. Like, putting aside the performance of Checo, uh, which we will come to later, like we do every week, we should have Checo's corner. Um, I can't believe Checo's going to be in F1 in 10 years' time, right? He's not He's not a spring chicken. He's not like he's Piastri and he's got a whole lot left, right? In 10 years' time, I think he'd be older than Alonso, if I'm correct, uh, which I, I just don't see him going that long. It just doesn't seem, like, irrespective of his performance, I just don't see him doing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make it out of, like, this year. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get on to that. Um, yeah, that was just... And then also, like, Max has already kind of stated after, like, 2028, he might not do anything. So, like, you could say five years and that might – or six years and that might not even be true just because, yeah, Max Max seems like – yeah. All right, what's the what's – that, that, yeah. that is Daddy Perez's plan is he just needs to hold, have Perez hold on until Max is gone. And then, and then Perez can shine brightly in the best car on the grid. Uh, which I'm pretty sure it won't be that point, just statistically speaking. And I, I don't know if I don't know if Perez is really there, really. But anyway, again, saving that for for for, for Checo's corner. The the real problem is going to be when Adrian Newey decides he's built enough championship winning cars, and then what will Red Bull do? Yes, I I think that could be a whole uh, that could be a step change in the team. If I was if I was cynical, that's when they'll sell the team. Uh, however, I do think on like an Adrian Newey retirement note, I have to think that he would be well involved in picking his successor. Yes, and he he did a podcast with the uh, Beyond the Grid, uh, which I keep calling Off the Grid, but he did a talk about that, and he talked about how it's the team itself they've tried to set up. He is not he. It's not that he's not on the critical path, but he is making sure that there is appropriate people with appropriate development opportunities to be on the critical path. Uh, hats off to Adrian Newey for not having the insane ego that some people have. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and, uh, oh, also, back on the uh, Checo could be, is Max's teammate for the next 10 years. He didn't specify Formula One, if I remember correctly. So, you know, Max goes to race WEC. He'll need a teammate there. He does V8 supercars in Australia. He'll need a teammate there. So, you know, Checo's just ready to follow Max around the globe for the next 10 years. Well, it's perfect. Checo can finally get his world championship on the coattails of Max because Max will drive the car and then he'll hand it off to Checo and then Max will have to recover for all the mistakes that Checo has made because it's a team game in WEC. What's the minimum amount of laps one teammate can do? One? I assume so. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, finally, uh, I think Toto Wolf listens to our podcast. This is the only conclusion we can come from this. 
Exactly, because we we were lamenting last week that, and previous weeks as well, that uh, Mercedes are absolutely terrible when it comes to pit stops uh, in terms of everybody else on the grid. And Toto came out and said something as much of, we need to fix our pit stops because we are losing a second to the other teams, at least, in the pit stops. Um, there was, uh, a, what, Code F1 on Twitter, because I refuse to still call it by the other name. Uh, they put together a graph of pit stops, uh, and the pit stop time that was less than two and a half seconds, uh, would, or, and that was for this season. Uh, would you like to guess what percentage of Red Bull's pit stops are faster than 2.5 seconds? 85%. Only 43, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Surprising. Surprising. They, they, they are the leaders, by the way. Mm. Uh, Ferrari? That was, you said it was 45 for Red Bull? 43. 43, uh, 37. Uh, Ferrari's at 40. Oh. Mm. McLaren? 37. 35. Oh, yeah. Mercedes? 1.6. Yeah. So of their 59 pit stops this season, they've only done one faster than 2.5 seconds. Damn. That's, that's actually, that's, that is shocking. Actually, Right? Yeah. Uh, did you, did you see the excuse that they've came up for why their pit stops are so bad? Uh, please do tell. Cause I think you told me earlier and I'll let you know. Uh, the so moment. Appara- yeah, apparently, uh, their wheel guns are old. Their wheel nuts are weird and all the other equipment that is involved needs a redesign because they haven't really haven't changed it in all these years because it costs to do that and they've been managing the cost of developing the car to stay within the cost cap that's their excuse so here's the real thing we have to put a little pin in that and we have to remember that next year to see whether they've actually fixed the problem or not they did some good pit stops today though so i don't know where that came from they did i i don't think they were that fast no they were still not under 2.5 but for from from on the on the on a grading on a curve <laughs> on a mercedes scale yeah yeah uh so shall we go on to uh, occasional segment does perez have i mean sorry does blank still have a job uh absolutely we've got to stick with our uh with our three main candidates uh and if we want to we can throw uh uh charles leclerc's race engineer javi in there just for today of the uh don't worry the hards will be faster in five laps the hards were not faster in five laps <laughs> He never specified which five laps. Uh, <laughs> I think it meant the next five laps. Well, you never know. Uh, it's a Ferrari. Uh, so number number one on our list of does Blank still have a job? Does Lance still have a job? Well, he made it further into the race uh, than Fernando before retiring the car. I, I, I like how that, that was specifically catched this further into the race, not finished ahead of, scored more points than, out-qualified. It was got further into the race. I, I think I am I would believe sooner that Fernando has checked out on the season than Lance is actually now more competitive than Fernando. I would subscribe to that. In fact, to give Alonso the benefit of the doubt in the most gratifying way, he has d- learnt from what happened with Mercedes last year and he is just spending his time focusing on the car for next year. That's what he's spending his mental capacity on. I, I would I would definitely believe that. I think he was trying to do the most predictable, consistent laps possible today uh, to help gather data and, and that. Uh, and we also, we have seen um, Fernando checked out before. I remember when he was leaving McLaren and he did not have a seat next year in F1 and they were at Abu Dhabi. And, you know, the engineer was giving him the hurry up to like, 
hey, come on, you can score a point because you're 11th. And he's like, I have so many points. I don't need another one. Like, a point is not going to help the car. Um, and then he proceeded to cut the chicane three times in a row. Like, he was gaining so much time because he just cut the chicane because he didn't care. He got a five-second penalty. It was hilarious. Oh, oh, like Perez on turn six in Austin, but didn't get a penalty for it, though. Oh, apparently the cameras weren't set up properly to see it. <coughs> really? Yeah. Uh, yes, Lance, suspicious, very dodgy. Uh, he had a bad race, bad qualifying, and then he had a whole brand new car and then managed to break it towards the end. I still don't understand why he retired at the end. He only spun it, like, once. He didn't hit a wall, so, but whatever. Uh, well, because then he could have hit a wall if he kept it out there. Well, true, true. I think that's the uh, the the uh, hockey equivalent of the sin bin of the, you broke the car, there's not enough laps left, you're not in the points, get in before you do any more damage. Well, yeah, that's a fair point. Fair point. Uh, should we go on to Logan? Sure. Does he still need to be on the list? I, you know, they haven't said he hasn't got the seat. And what's his face from Williams keeps saying, he's been doing pretty good. And I feel that's just a PR mechanism. He was, he was pretty close today, but apparently the car went bang on the last lap and he couldn't even finish, get across the finish line. He came into the pits on the last lap from 12th position and then finished in 16th. And I feel that's actually, that sucks because I feel like not even being able to make it the remaining I suppose it's not really 300 feet to the finish line because you've then got to drive around again. But nonetheless, I was like, man, that kind of sucks. But uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like he, sadly, it's not so much that he needs to be out of it because he's crap, but I think that's the case. I think there's so many better opportunities for Williams. Uh, I would just say that uh, after reviewing last week's um, race results post-podcast, uh, Logan Sargent has scored a point in his rookie season at Williams, something George Russell did not do. Oh. Oh, spicy. Yes. Spicy. Because we can always compare <laughs> Williams across seasons. I think that's fair at this point. Uh, and then finally, who I think might be the most biggest candidate who might be losing their job at the end of the season, Sergio Perez. Is 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 this... Yeah, this is Checo's corner, right? This is Checo's corner at this point in time. Uh, some wonderful stats. There were some great stats on the broadcast today. I think Sky does a very good job. Um, and one of the things they, they pointed out, and this is very much true, or I don't know if they pointed this out. Somebody pointed this out. I saw this and I double checked it. Max has 491 points this season. Go Max. Checo has, is in second place with 240 points. That means the gap from Max to Checo is 251 points. So everybody on the grid is closer to Checo than Checo is to Max. I find that stat shocking, and I find it shocking because surely people at the back, like Logan Sargent, must be further behind him. Like, I, I, it's a stat that you listen. You're like, this makes no sense. I, I can't, I can't, I can't make head nor tail of it. But yet, but yet, here we are. What uh, about somebody who hasn't done a race since Hungary? Oh come on, Nick DeVries has no points, but is still technically closer to Perez in the championships than Perez is to Max. What happened to Checo this season? Like. What happened? How about this? Liam Lawson only did five races this year, has two points. He is closer to Checo than Checo is to Max. He's closer to Checo's seat than Checo is to Checo's seat. That might be true. Yes. I just... I, you know, the stat is mind-blowing. I just still can't believe that Checo managed to screw up his home race so, so badly. We'll call it George Russell syndrome. I think he was trying i think he's trying so hard to push for a result to prove that he belongs in that red bull seat that 
he made the most stupid asinine lunge into turn one. And yeah, let's let's hard. hold off on talking about that yes. until we get yes, to the yes, race yes, again. Yes, yes. Should we talk about the quality? We shall talk about the qualification of our drivers for the excellent race that was this weekend. It was a bit of a crazy mixed up grid. And it was, and there was no weather that caused it. There may be some, have been some atmospheric issues that caused it, but no weather caused that. Temperature is weather, Dominic. Temperature true. is weather. True, true. But does that really explain it? Uh, the, apparently in Q3, the temperature of the track dropped and Red Bull were having a hard time getting the car in the operating window. Oh, I missed that. That's fascinating. Again, I watched the whole broadcast this morning. Ah, you heard all the stats. I heard all the things. figures. Yes, we had uh, Bernie Collins and Danica Patrick uh, talking to one of the Mercedes engineers. And um, I have to say, I think one of them asked better questions than the other. Uh, it was Bernie, wasn't it? Well, let me just say this. One asked very, I am a race engineer strategist questions. And the other asked, I am a racing driver questions. Oh, interesting. Interesting. They um, were both, to be fair, they were both good questions. I wouldn't say like, you know, somebody, one of them had a lot better questions than the other, but one was very much, I am a race strategist questions. And the other is, I am a racing driver questions. And, and, and in hindsight, I think that's what makes Bernie so good is she, most people are not armchair drivers. Right. But everybody that watches F1 is effectively an armchair strategist, so she asks more audience-relevant questions. Yeah. Um, so should we lead with the highlight of qualification here? Daniel Ricciardo out-qualifying Sergio Perez. I, I assume that's the highlight. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. Well, even putting that to one side, Danny Rick gets into Q3 with great pace. It's like the first time he's done that since, like, 2020. I mean, maybe a slight exaggeration, he did that. He did that with ease. He seemed comfortable in it. It was great. And on top of that, he he took out the he beat the team that he wants to beat the teammate of the person he wants to be driving. I mean, the great thing about Mexico City is your draggy car is a lot less draggy. Indeed, it turns out the physics does matter. And that Honda power unit is pretty good. Well, but or Perez sorry, Red Bull same... powertrains unit is pretty good. But but Perez had the same one. He should he be did. equally capable. He should. He well, there's a lot of stuff he should have done this year to be equally capable. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Uh, yeah, that was great. I was very happy to watch Danny make it to the end. There, that was that was that was probably the highlight of qualifying. There was another good broadcast moment about the altitude of they run the uh, apparently they run the Monaco level wings at uh, at Mexico, but the altitude is so high and the air pressure is so less that they produce less downforce than the Monza flat wings. That needs to be the kind of question that should be on a, you know, high school, what do you call it? The SAT type um, physics paper. Because I feel... An, a an AP test? Yeah, yeah. I think that would be spot on because I th feel like it's got all the things and you can give some numbers on it and you can ask, what do you think it should be? And then do the math and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, I like that. That's a good one. Uh, yes. Uh, Ferrari did their one lap pace thing. They got both cars on the front row. That was yeah, impressive. Yeah, the first time, first time in a very long time, right? Yeah, some of it. And I think like the first time ever in Mexico or something like that, or not since like 1983 or something. Yeah. It was it was great. They were brilliant laps, but they couldn't repeat them, which I also thought was fascinating. Even though I think they slapped on new boots and went for it again, and they couldn't repeat that performance. It was clearly just, as, as I think Martin said on the broadcast, right time, right place, right moment. Absolutely. And if I could put on my tinfoil hat for a minute, the titular name of this, or the titular item of this podcast... Um, I think Max did this on purpose. I think he baited Ferraris into a front row lockout because he knows and proved that P3 is the best place to start in this race. I could believe that. I'm normally not one to subscribe to 
drivers intentionally making making certain choices. But I think Max has reached that point in the season that uh, I think he's fully fully able to do that, and I think he probably might have done that. I have to say on the on the watch of the grid this morning, um, for everybody who is kind of a Max hater and thinks he's like a young hothead and things like that. Uh, Max has certainly matured a lot in the last couple of years because on the walk to the grid, it's like, oh, what do you think? P3 is a good spot. Can you overtake and be first into turn one? And he's like, it makes no sense to overtake on turn one or push it really hard into turn one. All you can do is ruin your race. The race is not one on one lap. It's a very long race. There's a lot of attrition. It's going to be a very dag heavy race, you know? So the goal is to get through the first corner cleanly. Like, and the, I forget who was walking with him, but she was trying to bait him into like the, oh, you're going to go really hard and fast. And he's like, he's like, no, this, it's got to be, it's going to be high dag. It's going to be, it's very hot. It's going to be a very controlled race. Like you got to approach this as almost an endurance event than like a sprint event, just because of all the factors going today. And it's, it's amazing to see how far we've come from like a crash stappen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I applaud Max for that. So we often talk about uh, Red Bull having made a decision to design the car to have great race pace, maybe not the best, you know, one lap pace, but focus on race pace. There isn't, I think there's an unspoken part of that, right? Which is you have to work with the driver to help them understand what that means. And I think your, your your observation here about Max suggests that they've done a great job of training and building Max up. Part of that is just maturity, and he's won two champ- three championships at this point. And part of it just comes with that experience. But at the same time, I wonder how much Red Bull was like, look, this is how we're going to do the car. I, no, I know it seems like it's a bit weird. Honest, we got this. And that, that made, that's, that's a really interesting way to think about it. Brilliant insight. I think it's also a little bit of like the different formulas going from like the previous turbo hybrid formula to these these ground effect cars and the sense of we know they follow better, we know they do well, we know they do better overtakes, while in the previous generation car, if you had good one lap pace and then could keep the car behind you for three, four laps, you're you got it. You have track position is king, dirty air will ruin all. So you could get away with one lap pace and track position is everything. And if you get in front and you can force somebody to be in the dirty air for three laps and ruin their tires, you can ruin their whole day. That's that's that uh, is strategy. That's long play. Not many. Hannah Schmidt right there. Long play. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, we should continue talking about qualifying because the Astons had a terrible day. They do not like the altitude. No, they do. They, I'm not sure I'm willing to go with it. They don't like the altitude. I think the car is just screwed. I don't know what they've done to it, but it has just got crap. It's almost worth bringing the Bahrain car back and seeing how that does. I think they need to do that. I think in all seriousness, they need to really think about that. Maybe Abu Dhabi is the right place for them to try that. Like if they if they plan it and they do it in advance, they should be able to drive both car, both types of car, one in FP1, one in FP2, and just really try and understand what the difference is between that. Because there's, it doesn't make any sense. And if it turns out that everybody else has just improved and like you haven't made your car worse, great. It gives you that insight. But they need that insight because until you understand what happened, it's not good. Um, but they qualified badly. I, I would go, you need to bring the the, the early season car. So the Bahrain, uh, Saudi, Australia car. You need to bring the Netherlands car, the Be- the the Belgium, Netherlands era car. Because that was because uh, the Netherlands was the site of Alonso's last podium. He got a second. And then the current car. And run all three. 
Could could they do this in the postseason young rookie young drivers test? I'm not even being facetious about Alonso being a rookie this time, but like, do, if they've got a driver that they believe is predictable enough, they could get away with that. They probably could, because um, that is more about driver miles than car testing. But I think it's but that's one of those. If you're going to use Abu Dhabi as a test platform, you you run one car one way, one car another way, and the third car another like in that test session, do it again. Yep. Yep. Lando's woes. Yeah, he what he got a track he got a track limits violation I think and that kicked him out into Q one. I thought he had a different problem than that I thought that was Alex that got that which is next. Uh, yeah, I thought I didn't think Lando got track limited in the. Same oh, he way. got he got yellow flagged. That's right. Yes, uh, and he just got ended up being out of sync. And he said there was nothing wrong with the car. He was just whatever was causing the problem. He was not. It was not working for him on 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 Saturday. So. Well, they certainly got it working on Sunday. Yeah. Uh... Alex makes it into Q3, but not really. I yeah, that that was kind of interesting to me because, like, if you he's adamant that he did not cut that corner, and that leads me to like an interesting corner cutting question. Because uh, if you think of like the radius of a corner, because we know we have to have four tire, or we have to have at least one tire touching the white line at one point in time. Is it a legal corner if essentially the straight line of the car means that like? All the wheels will have been out at a certain point in time, but by the time the back wheel goes out, the front wheel's already back in bounce. Is that a legal corner or not? Because I think that's what got Alex. That's a, that's an excellent question, and, and if we have any um, scrutineers slash race directors who would like to write in and let us know, please do, because I think that is an excellent point. I think that is... I mean, in some ways, that's how the rule should be written, right? If all your if all your wheels go off in the process of of transiting through a corner then you, you cut the corner. Uh, we have some updates from the Twitters after the race. Nothing shocking, uh, but no penalty for Leclerc because it was agreed by the teams and the FAA last year that front wing detachments and their final resting place are not to be deemed unsafe. I actually have no idea how to read that. I think that's reasonable. I still don't know what it means. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, back to Alex and his cutting of corners. Uh, yes, that sucks, and it feels bad for him. Uh, shall we move on to the race? Just quick, back on the corner cutting. Do you think he cut the corner? If that if that was the case, do you think he cut the corner or not? I did not watch it to have an opinion. Okay. Because I think it's one of those, like, I think according to the rules, I don't think he cut the corner. And that's a question that, like, do you need to consider a different rule set? If that is the way the rules are written then I th- we should enforce the rules as they are written and take a note that we should follow up for the next season to adjust the rules. I don't think we should be like, actually, the mor- the spirit of the rule, especially if so written as being very prescriptive, we should just go and reinterpret it live in real time. We should take the next opportunity to address that. Yeah, especially it being like, a, like a, there's not a lot of pure 90 degree corners like that on the track where you're taking it at that sort of line or on tracks where you're taking it to that sort of line in a chicane, you know, there's a lot more, even the, the tight corners and stuff are usually more sweeping. So it's really a Mexico problem. One last point upon qualification and, uh, uh, track limits and whatnot. It's very quick for the stewards to go make a judgment and say, Oh, we can kick you out and get this all done, but waiting and hanging around in the pit lane. We got to wait for three hours afterwards to make the decision about that. And I think the F1 needs to fix that because it keeps happening and they need to stop letting people get through the rest of qualifying and then give them a penalty, they should do it and decide that, no, you don't progress to the next session. If that means they've got to increase the gap between sessions by like five minutes, then so be it. But they need to do that because it's ridiculous. So I think we need to move on to the race. 
And I think before we need to start with the race week or the, our race uh, recap, um, I think we need some statistics. We can be a very statistic and stat heavy podcast this time around. Yes. Charles, Charles Leclerc in his uh, career has had 22 pole positions now, more than any driver to never win a world driver's championship. Impressive. Um, it is. And of those 22 poles, Max has won 10 of those races. Checo has won four. Charles has won four. Lewis has won three. And Sebastian Vettel has won one. If we just look at the ground effect car era, so 2022 and 2023, Charles has 13 poles. Max has won eight of those. Checo, three. And Charles, two. And I'm pretty sure those two were like the start of last season. I have one key takeaway from this. This clearly shows how much better Charles Leclerc is than Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. It shows that in those situations, he has more poles, more wins from poles, right, against each other than anybody else. And that shows that he's got the measure of them. We'll ignore what seasons those may or may not have occurred in, because that's beside the point. But we can see that stat, and that is why Ferrari believes in Charles. That's the only thing we can take away from that. I mean, doesn't Lewis have, like, the best pole-to-win conversion rate of all time? Probably. But Ferrari have not given Charles the car he deserves. That's what the problem is. This is an absurd stat, and Charles needs to talk to his his driver coach and the team about it because he needs to fix this. This is ridiculous. I, I it is it is insanely ridiculous. Just like how much a Charles Leclerc poll does not mean Charles is going to win. If anything, Max is going to win. Like, oh, Charles is on pole. Cool, Max Verstappen win. Like, cue up the uh, the the Dutch national anthem already. Like, it is like Max doesn't even have that. Like his poll his poll conversion rate I think is still pretty good. Yes. Uh, but it's like, oh, the Red Bull's on pole. Cool. Max is probably going to do a good job. The Ferrari's on pole. Lol. Max is going to be through by lap three. Like, it's not even close. It's been a, it's a meme at this point. It's Ralph Wiggum going, being Charles Leclerc going, I'm in danger of not winning the race. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, he needs to sort that out. I, I think also like it does prove just like how good that Ferrari is over one lap and how shit it is over the race. And at that point, like, I don't know if this is if this is a a race engineer problem or a car design problem. Uh, jump or, or even a setup problem. Sure, but like jumping ahead a little bit, this is like the one time we have never heard Ferrari talk about Plan C D E F M O. Like this was the one time it's like, hey, we're still thinking Plan A. You go to Plan A, yeah, we're good with Plan A, and like. Man, if they had held out to the red flag, that would have been really interesting. Um, but they were clearly losing pace. Max was essentially a pit stop ahead, like before they, like he had the pit stop in hand before uh, Signs and Charles even pitted. Like it, he pitted when when the safety car came out. He pitted for new hearts, and he's like, "Cool, we're good." Like he had it so covered off. Um, he still ended up. Uh, oh, uh, Martin Brundle had the the comment at the end of the race, like he want he was twenty two or twenty three seconds faster or faster than Charles in the second half of the race, and that doesn't even include the gap that like was just wiped out by that red car or that that red flag. It, and that gap, and I think that gap was like seventeen seconds at the time. It, it was pretty big. Uh, it does it does raise an interesting question that Ferrari are constantly readjusting their strategy, but I, well, I don't think anything happened in this race other than the red flag to cause Ferrari to need to reassess their strategy for 
for the first time in forever, everybody was roughly where they kind of expected them to be. Nobody kept changing it. Everything was kind of as it was. So they didn't have to enumerate plan A through Z and they just stuck with it. They did roll out option one and option two, though, just to be clear. That was discussed briefly on the radio. I slightly disagree. Okay. Because you saw Max pitting earlier than people expected and then being a rocket ship. Lewis pitted earlier than expected and was a rocket ship. Um, And I think on a track that is surprisingly difficult to overtake, in part because of the altitude and due to car cooling, um, having that rocket ship, it it would have been, I think, almost like a George Russell situation where it's like, no, man, I'm going to push the one stop to work. Because I think we were really looking at a good two-stop race for like Max and Lewis. And I think, if anything, we kind of did see it that those hard tires were not working as well towards the end. I mean, we, we talked about it at the top of the podcast of Javi being like, oh yeah, in five laps, we're going to be faster. And they were not faster. They were never faster. And I don't know if it was a car cooling situation or a tire deg situation, but Lewis was alive on those mediums. Max was alive on the hards up the road and they were just chilling. And ultimately, yeah. I think what you're saying to counter my point is, Ferrari should have adjusted their strategy and yet didn't because they weren't paying enough attention. We assume that they saw that the other things had happened, but this is Ferrari. There's no guarantee that they actually observed anybody else in the race. Yeah, this was one of those, we didn't even realize what went wrong last weekend and we were ready to do it again. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I think as we have in the notes here, Ferrari haven't learned their lesson from last week. Uh, No, they haven't. They have not learned their lesson. Um... Meanwhile, back to kind of more of the start of the race, uh, Alonso was fined for speeding in the pit lane on the lap to the grid. Uh, we talked about in the last podcast that they have increased the fines up to $1 million. So, um, Dominic, how much was Fernando Alonso fined for speeding in the pit lane? $100. $100,000? That's that's a lot. Oh, oh no, just no, just 100 One single $100. Oof. A fresh Benjamin. I hope he can afford that. Wait, it is Benjamin, right? It's a Benjamin, right? It is a Benjamin. In this country, it is a Benjamin. Okay, great. I uh, assume in England, it would just be a King Charles. I don't think we have 100 pound notes. Also on every note in England, I think you'll find on the back, you'll find a member of the royal family, aka the head of state. 100 pound note. Ah, there it, the 100 pound note is currently the largest denomination and banknote issued by the Royal Bank of Scotland. Oh, interestingly ah fascinating oh we're not going to go on the divergence of the difference between the bank of scotland and the bank of england and how sometimes you get your scottish money rejected in english banks it's very confusing anyway moving on swiftly to how many countries are in that country indeed uh it's complex and difficult and i don't wish to get censored by somebody uh so uh do we want to talk we don't want to want to talk about what perez did but should we talk about what happened to perez after the fact uh, I mean, I want to talk a little about what Perez did. Okay, uh, okay. He he tried to go three wide in turn one, pinched Charles, and got sent into uh, the uh, runoff area. And very nearly, it was it was that was just a, a hair's width from accidentally taking out Max. Because if he'd if Charles had bounced a little bit more in the other direction, that would have taken out Max. And I feel like that might have actually been the end of Checo's career in Formula One if he'd done that. But luckily, <laughs> just right there, just right there, that would have been the defining moment. Uh, I mean, at least the championship wouldn't have been on the line. Oh, man. Yeah. No, but neither championship would have been on the line. But I still think that would have been like, you know, rule number one, don't take out your teammate 
And then, man, he sat in that car, like, hoping they were going to repair it, like, going three and four laps down, like, he wanted to get back out there. It was almost like he knows it's his last Mexican Grand Prix and wanted to go drive around. Yeah, it's, I was, that was... It, it felt that way, didn't it? It did. It did. Did, did you see the clip, or did you, did you notice the clip where uh, Perez, after he'd clearly gone and had a shower and done his old talking bit, whatever, comes into the, the garage and nobody would look at him. The entire pit crew was like, I'm looking at the TV and you're standing right in front of the TV and this blank look of panic on Perez's face as he tries to get out of the way. It was, it was pretty shocking. It was like chef kiss perfect of like the relationship that he has with the team. Yeah, it sucks for him. It really was, it was pretty damning. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of uh, Perez out of the car, he did an interview, or I heard the replay of the interview during the red flag, and he uttered the words, which seemed surprisingly out of context, uh, I have no doubt that I'll be back for Sao Paulo. Now, I'm sure that he is referring to you know, I'm going to be back to top form by Sao Paulo. And I'm like, I feel like that's clearly a porky pie because you've said that for like the last 10 races. But there's just the way it came out, just the tone, the intonation. I'm like, does he know something? Is is he putting an idea into the universe that Danny Rick will be in the Red Bull by next week? I don't, if anything, Danny Rick's in by Vegas just for the memes. But um, true. But man, I don't see him getting replaced like at this point in time. Because if there was a championship threat, I think you could see it. But it's one of those situations of like, nah, you're, we're, we'll give you the chance to outpace Lewis, who's now 20 points behind. And if not DQ'd last week, like what, five points behind? Or clo- a lot closer. But, but if you're the team and you've made the decision that you, that like really he's out for 2024, right? Why don't you take advantage of basically free running for the remaining three races of the season? Yeah. There's- three races and throw in whoever his replacement is and you get them you get three you get fp1 danny gets uh, one danny gets one yuki gets one liam gets one bake off i love it yes uh red bull please do this yeah uh danny we'll give danny vegas we'll put yuki in san paulo and we'll do liam in abu dhabi just every everybody gets a go perfect wham bam thank you man yeah did you see the uh christian horno or christian horner checo conversation on the pit wall I did, and I do want to know what was said. I liked your interpretation that you texted me, so I think you should you should share it with the class. I should remember what I texted you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I said, uh, this is why you're done, mate. Pack your bags and go. Yeah, perfect. It's the only possible explanation that was what was said. It was, not, it was never camaraderie or support or saying it's okay. It was just making sure he got <clears throat> straight in there. It, it does feel a little bit like um, Christian Horner might not be the best pit la- or uh, team principal dad for Checo. Um, no, I, I, no. I, I think he is a reasonable t- uh, pit lane dad, but I don't. Sorry, team principal dad, but not for Checo. Checo. He, he's the he's the team principal stepdad for Checo of like, look, man, we try to get along, but it ain't I'm working. W- I'm with your mom yeah. now and you need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For, for Checo, it's a uh, team principal stepdad vibes. Mm, I agree. I agree. Okay. Uh, Charles escapes his black and white flag, which uh, was surprising in the race, but given the previously aforementioned note that I had added earlier, he even escaped it post-race, which I think was fascinating. And I still don't understand that rule. I'm not even sure the stewards always understand the rules, but that's another podcast for another time. Indeed. Uh, Boy, Uh, Danny was hustling that alpha. He was trying. 
he was he really was trying and i am so happy to see that he was actually trying i really hope this isn't like a monza two-point situation where he just peaks and that's it for the rest of the season i i'm i'm, I'm hoping i'm hoping pleading pine and yearning he was i mean he he put up i think as good of a fight as he could have with lando coming through um it was a bit of almost a danny of old uh and I wish they hadn't cut away with his battle with George on the last lap because I know we have to see Max win his 16th race of the season and set a new record and all that. But, like, come on. That was some good action that had been brewing. And I think one more lap, Danny would have got him for sure. And It, it was so close. Uh, and I looked at those little timing things go up and down and up and down, and we didn't say the right thing. Um, in a brief note, before we started this podcast, well, I did review it, and it wasn't as exciting maybe as we hoped. Yeah, but it was still, like, yeah, those two going at it. It would have yeah. been good. Yeah, so good that the second Mercedes driver is driving down all the way at the back and being about to be overtaken by an Alfa Tori. Oh, yeah, that's a good fight. I like that. Should, should we should we vent about George? We haven't vented about George yet this broadcast. No, no. Well, maybe maybe we'll leave that for a little bit. I, I have a late-breaking spicy take rumor, as you mentioned. That's so we'll save it for that section. All right, cool, 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 cool. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. we talked about Ferrari. Uh, the red flag like was kind of interesting, but kind of not. Yeah, it didn't, it mixed it up, but it didn't mix it up. It was basically two sprint races. And actually, I think that when you think about what a sprint race is, I think that actually kind of works for a sprint race and more racing. It's just maybe if you could split it across the two days. I don't know. I like, uh, I liked Mercedes going bold and put Lewis on the mediums. Yeah. That worked out very well. Uh, I thought Lewis might be first into turn two because, you know, he was starting from P3, but Max got a good launch and definitely knew how to cover that one off. Yeah, and also I thought it was impressive that Lewis had learned his lesson from Qatar and decided that maybe he shouldn't turn in on people. So good work, good work, Lewis. And boy, Lando had it. Lando had a bad start in the second start. That was terrible. Great racing for him at the end. I think it was like, but I'm still like he shouldn't have screwed up twice. Yeah, uh, it was a good race, but it's unclear exactly what happened and why it was good. But it was good. I enjoyed it. I did also enjoy it. Uh, I have told this to you. Uh, off off podcast many a time and i think now that we have a wider audience of amount of people um i think it's worth repeating i love the things that mexico does with the mexican grand prix um i love the mariachi band uh interpretation of the formula one theme i love all the art around the circuit i love that they put their own flair on like the the podium celebration uh I want to see more countries do something like that of showcase your local culture within the realms of formula one, because I think it is great because we have a world championship. And if it's the same, uh, commercialized sterile view every week of here's our same theme, here's the same artwork and everything else, it looks a bit old. And I love seeing countries put their own flair on what, what it is. And it was, it's always very cool to rock out to Mexico, hear that version of the theme, um, the stadium section is always rocking. The cool thing they've done with like the car podiums. Um, yeah, it's it's very, very cool. It, it's interesting to think about most Formula One uh, venues. And there's one that pops to mind that kind of embraces this, but it's, it hasn't quite got there yet. Most of the time, that cultural um, expression is external to the race. It's never into the race. And I think that's what Mexico does pretty good is it brings it into the race. And I think that is the way it should be right because like for for viewers at home i get to see that and it makes me it makes me like want to go watch the mexican grand prix in person more than any other thing yes the only other race that seems to come even close to this is miami strangely i would agree with that miami definitely has some of that but like yeah that's the thing of like there's definitely a south beach vibe and miami tries to get it going yep they just need to they need to stretch that out to 
the podium and the music and i don't know what you do but i feel like there's an opportunity there all right do you not like the football helmets in the stadium do we see those in the race in miami yeah but do we see them no well, i don't remember seeing them during the podium celebration oh did they did they get them i missed that they did one year where they wore football helmets and stuff and it was only had two years anyway uh should we get spicy and have some hot takes and some rumors uh sure i i have one and i think that uh daniel is going to drive the red bull in 2024 at this rate and i think checo is going to be given the choice between you can either get in the alpha or you can try your luck on the open market because we know he has a clause in his contract that says he cannot be dropped into the alpha towery but i think they can say you can take it if you want or you can try your luck on the open market but you will not be in this car for 2024 uh, my response to that is he won't take it, subsequently fails to get a drive. Liam gets the uh, Alpha Tori seat and Checo becomes a sports commentator. What would he commentate on? Formula One. Oh, okay. Would he be part of the Sky broadcast or... No, no, I think he'd probably commentate on uh, in Mexico. Uh, okay. But the, the, suppose the real question at that point is after you've lost the driver of your country, is it that popular in Mexico anymore? I don't know. That's a good question. I would hope so, because I think they put on a very good show. They do. They do. Uh, second spicy taken rumor this week is, uh, this is this is this was written mid-race, so maybe I'm a little bit wrong here, but uh, Lando is actually the second driver at McLaren, and that Piastri is the number one driver. I mean, they did ask the number one driver in that case to let the number two driver through. Well, no, but he had a different strategy, more pace, like just that they've done that to Lewis. It's, you know, same things happen all the time. Um, to put it in a slightly different way it feels at the moment the performance that Piastri is showing he, he may have a higher ceiling than Lando I think is maybe one way for me to interpret this but we'll see we'll see next year I think if the car's good we'll, we'll test uh, if they can figure out how to bring a good car to Bahrain which has been their weakness for the last like four seasons indeed um, um, yeah did you good. see <laughs> did you see Lando's comment of if he ever wins a race he's just going to retire on the spot uh, I did, I did. And I, and I can't help but feel he's again. I have this whole theory about you don't put ideas into the universe that you don't want to happen, and he's put an idea into the universe. I hope it doesn't happen, but, you know, we've got to be careful about this. I mean, I think it depends when that race comes. Like, I, if he still, like, has this duck on him, like, in five years, I can definitely see it. it's like, fine, I won, I'm out. Like, I can see it where he realizes, like, he's never going to be a world champion or something like that, as long as he doesn't win, like, the first, like, race of the season. He could easily be world champion without ever having won a race. It has happened before. If anybody can do it, Lando could do it. Indeed. If somebody's been world championship without or world champion without winning a race in a season. Certainly. Yes. I uh, don't. Keke. Keke Rosberg, I believe. <laughs> of course, the um, Rosbergs would both like have that weird stat. <laughs> what? What's Nico Rosberg's weird stat? Well, just the one like he did with the one race and where he did he won his one championship and then retired. Oh yeah. Mm. Uh, complete Formula One World Championships results. Uh, no, he did win a race that season. Oh, he did? He did. Oh, was somebody he else. won the Swiss Grand Prix. I swear there was somebody who became champion because, and they never won a race that season. Anyway. Has anyone... Wait, did you say Swiss? To... Yes, I said Swiss. The 1982 Swiss Grand Prix. I thought the Swiss didn't like speed. They don't. That also struck me as odd. But anyway. Has anybody ever won the Formula One title not winning a race? Can you ever win the World Championship without winning a race? Uh, Mike Hawthorne and Kiki Rosberg won the title with just one singular win. Oh, man. So two people have done it with one win. So only Lando Norris could do it with no wins. Mm. 
I, I feel like in order for that to happen, we would have to bring back like 1980s and 70s level attrition. Yes, I, th- I think that's true. But, you know, 2026 is coming up. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I, but, you know, they want to be more sustainable and stuff. And while I, I do miss seeing engines go kabang, um, I feel like we are unlikely to have a lot of that. They say sustainable for the environment. It doesn't mean sustainable on the racetrack. Yeah, and if you're constantly blowing up engines, that's not the most sustainable thing. Well, as long as they don't, as long as they can be fixed and you don't spray bits everywhere and, you know, pollute everything, it's totally plausible. Anyway, so my... my lo- they, they just need to make the whole engine out of, like, those, uh, those, um, uh, takeout, con- uh, those compostable takeout containers. Yes, there we go. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's sustainable. Uh, so my late-breaking spicy hot take rumor is uh, George uh, will not get renewed at the end of his contract. Ooh. Well, if tune can, in if you can, for, tune in for tinfoil helmets in 2025 to learn the truth on that one. Based on his current performance, like I don't know, he needs to he has to fix his overdriving problem because it's hurting hurting him. I, I think the real problem there is like I don't think Lewis is going to want to go another like three years. Maybe he will. I don't know, but I could see Lewis also being kind of done with it. And I don't think Mercedes want to put two rookie drivers in that car. That's where they get Lando. Well, rookie to Mercedes. I think I think if at that point they may be willing to have that. I could see them getting to that point. That would be very interesting. Anyway, uh, should we go for our wrap-up and crazy but plausible predictions for Brazil? Absolutely. So the first one here is, and I must have missed these, uh, more Felipe Massa comments. Oh, I see what you're saying. My brain has finally caught up. Uh, yes, I co-signed this. There will be more Felipe Massa comments about 2008 at the Brazilian Grand Prix, especially if he's allowed to do the podium interviews. Please don't let him do the podium interviews. He's just bad at it. Can you imagine if he gets to do the podium interviews and gets to like, and Lewis gets on the podium? Uh, don't make this happen. Lewis, do you think your championship in 2008 is valid? Yes. Yeah, that's the only answer. What if it's Alonso on the podium and he gets to do the interview? Wait, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. The first question from Felipe is, Lewis, do you think Max's 2000 or 2021 championship is valid? See what he says there. And then if he says no, follow it up with, do you think your 2008 championship is valid? Oh, that's spicy. And I can see him actually trying to pull that off. That, that, no, it does not have that. Yeah. Uh, as, I think as soon as he starts to ask that question, his mic is suddenly not working. And David Cothart, a while David Cothart appeals, appears. Yes, uh, I can believe that that happens. He just apparates magically. Uh, second one, uh, I think George is going to win at Brazil again because that would just be the cruelest, horriblest, most thing to happen in the world. If by win you mean first out of the race because he's overdriving the car into the first chicane and takes some takes somebody and himself out, I will agree to that. Oh, but but, but it's a, it's a Merck track, and he he did so well last year. No, I think if it is a Merck track, I think Lewis is going to win because George is just overdriving the car and Lewis loves Brazil. I would love him. If he's going to win it, if he's going to win a race, I'd love it to be Brazil because I think that would be just be like, it would jazz the Brazilian people, super jazzy. Uh, but here's the other question. We're going to see Shakira in the, in the garage. Let's find out. Are he and Shakira still? I thought they... they no, uh... I think she was dating somebody else, but you never know. So uh, we're waiting your, for your feedback. Write into feedback at Tunfall Helmets and let us know your conspiracies, feedback and wants. Also tell your friends to listen, like, rate, and subscribe to the most amazing podcast in F1. And don't forget, you can follow us on threads and the instas at Tinfoil Helmets. See you next week. Did you know I actually got a text message from a friend about this podcast? You did? I did. You did? They totally agreed with us on the pit stops and at Mercedes, and they're just too slow. Are you friends with Toto Wolf? Uh, 
Yes. And with that, I guess we're done. <laughs> to quote Dominic. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Is that the outro now? 